0: There's a message true and glad for the sinful and the sad. Bring it out. Ring it out, ring it out, ring it out. It will give them courage new, it will help them to be true. Ring it out. Ring it out, ring it out, ring it out, ring out. Good afternoon, folks, and welcome back to another episode of Redeeming the Time. I'm your host, Chris Macy, and I am the minister here with the North Valley Church of Christ here in Cave Creek. Arizona. Now last week, we hit on a uh, kind of a controversial topic. Um, we talked about division, searching for truth, uh, things of that matter, uh, speaking about the Red for Red movement and how the Christian ought to respond. I, I, I did give uh, some of my opinion there. And I, I want to hit on uh, something this afternoon. Well, I, I'll just say, it, it's love. Re- really, if we can... Master the ability to truly love the way Christ did. So many problems, so many difficulties in this life would be taken care of. And I'm talking about not not that warm fuzzy love. You know, you got there. Uh, people think that they have in the, they need to find in their chest. You know, oh, it makes me feel good. It's the, It's that intellectual choice that we make to put the needs of others above your own. That's the true agape love of the body. Let's start by reading Galatians chapter 5, 22 to 25. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control against such things. There is no law Now, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Now, why is it important for us to have these things, this this fruit of the Spirit? And we're going to talk a little bit about what that means. Well, here's why it's important it can be summed up in this poem. There once were two cats from Kilkenny. Each thought there was one cat too many. They fought and they spit. They clawed and they bit. Till instead of two cats, there weren't any. What is the fruit of the spirit? Well, before we look at spirit, think about the word fruit. Inherently, fruit can be singular or plural. Clearly here it's plural, speaking of the many things there. But it's A fruit that comes forth by this spirit. Is it going to be your spirit? No, it's not. There is a reason why you and I, if we are truly in the body of Christ, there's a reason why we came to Christ. We came because we couldn't do it. We weren't able to be righteous before God. We had this sin problem, and Christ took care of the sin problem for us, and all that he asked is that we die to self and live for him. He died physically for us, and he asked that we die spiritually for him. And if we die spiritually, we've got to move that old man out, that's the old spirit, and bring in the new spirit. Look, look again there in Galatians 5, uh, the, the verses 24 and 25 again. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified what? The flesh with its passions and desires. Okay, now what? Well, now if if we were crucified that stuff, the who we are, how we lived our life in, in this life, how we used to live our lives, if we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. And I think he's talking about the Spirit of Christ. I live by His standard. I walk, the journey in this life now is according to His way of walking. And the very first thing, the very first way of walking is by love. Now i want to turn over to the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5. Matthew 5, verses 43 to 48. I'm going to read this for you. Uh, we'll probably look at it verse by verse. You have heard, now this is Jesus ta- uh, talking to uh, his disciples, and of course there's that great crowd there, uh, Matthew 5, verses 1 and 2. And he's talking to his disciples, and he's, in this whole sermon, he's pretty much saying here's what a disciple of mine looks like. If you want to be a disciple of mine, be these things. And he starts off there in verse 43. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Now, if you look through the Old Testament, you would see that well, pretty much uh, um God never told the people that uh, they are to hate their enemies. In fact, they were to be salt; they were to be light to those in, in this uh, uh, world. And so, when Jesus uh, said here in Matthew five, it is not unlike what God has already talked about in the Old Testament. They, but the Jews seem to have missed it. You see, they have been raised and under this other teaching, the scribes and Pharisees. Matthew five twenty: Unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will in no way enter the kingdom of heaven because they were teaching to love your neighbor but hate your enemy, whereas God told them something completely different. In fact, let me put my marker here. Let let, let me go ahead and give you a couple of examples from the Old Testament of what I mean or what I'm talking about with this. Let me turn to Exodus chapter 23. Uh, let me get over there. Sorry. Exodus 23. Oh, that's 32. Exodus 23. Verses 4 and 5. It says, if you meet your enemy's ox or his donkey wandering away, you shall surely return it to him. Now, do you, you see that? That's in the Old Testament. This is in the law. This is something that the Jews have been hearing almost every day, if not weekly, their entire lives. How could they possibly take on a teaching, love your neighbor, and hate your enemy, when you got something so clear right here? And this isn't the only one. We're going to look at a few more here in a second. Well, it's because of preconceived ideas. When we think we already know what the truth is, we're not looking for the truth anymore, are we? We're no longer seeking for it. We're no longer asking for it. We no longer come up to the door of truth and knock upon it. Because we think we already know. And so we're not looking for it anymore. And we just read over these things and we move right along. You may be thinking, well, I don't see how that's possible, Chris. It is. Have you ever taken one of those tests where you're supposed to count the letter, to how many times you see the letter F in a paragraph? And so you go through, you count, you see, let's say, eight. You scroll down on the email, usually that's where I've seen them. Scroll on the email and it says, How many did you get? Well, I got eight. Well, there were 12. Another one. You scroll back up, you count again. Eight. Scroll back down. Did you? And then the text, uh, as you keep scrolling down, it says, Did you go back and count again? Didn't you? There's 12. And you. Pre- and it says, You probably guessed eight or nine. I'm like, I did. And then it says, Look for the words of and if. And you'll scroll back up and they're there. And when you realize they're there, you recount, you get the right amount. I used to think as a kid, that was a trick. Sometimes, somehow it took it out of there. I don't know. But it's not a trick. Because our minds, we know the English language so well, we just fill it in. We don't even see it. We just fill those things in. I've had other things similar like that where you'll get a paragraph, you read through it, and then it asks you how many misspelled words were there. Well, I don't know, four, none? I don't know. It says, lo- told you to look at a few words, and they weren't just misspelled. They were completely wrong on their spelling. But, at the right first letter and the correct last letter, and with the context of the paragraph, your brain automatically puts it in the r- right position, what it should be. And you assume what it is. You don't even realize you do it. You do it so often. It's called preconceived. Your brain fills it in for you, subconsciously. You don't even realize you do it. Because you think you know the truth. It has to be brought to light for you. And so these Jews would be reading through Exodus and they think they know what the truth is and they don't see what's happening here in Exodus 23, 4. If you meet your enemy's ox or his donkey wandering away, you shall surely return it to him. That would be the loving thing to do. An intellectual choice you make to put the needs of another above your own. Not your own needs, but above yourself. Even the way you feel toward them. You put that aside because of love. Maybe your enemy. They may hate you. You may hate them. Who knows? But you love them. Did you know you can do both? I mean, maybe hate's the wrong word. dislike someone, but still love them. And that love is an intellectual choice. It's not a feeling. You choose to do what is right toward them. No matter what. No matter how you feel. Verse 5 of Exodus 23. If you see the donkey of one who hates you lying helpless under its load, you shall refrain from leaving it to him. You shall surely release it with him. Help him out. Work with him. That's the... Choosing to put their needs above your own. And for many folks, that can be very, very difficult to do. But that is true love. I want to give my opinion again on the Red for Red movement. I am for the teachers, okay? I'm for them. They deserve to get The 20%. I'm behind that 100%. I want our public schools to be good. I want our children to learn. I want the teachers to have the resources available to them to help the kids learn. But when you're out there uh, on strike, and during your strike you're promoting the Democrat person running for governor, which I saw out there doing, I also saw these teachers out there having a party and barbecuing, and all of this other stuff, and having fun. And they're being paid. They're not, they're not lo- losing money here. They're still being paid. And you know what's going on with the children? They're not learning. Well, they're learning, just not good things. They're learning, here's how you get stuff done. You protest. You, have, you get up in arms, and you get angry. And I'm glad Governor Doug Ducey is not meeting with them. Because this is not how you get it done. The teachers keep saying, oh, this is for the students. I'm sorry, no. That is not uh, uh, putting the needs of another above your own. The needs of the kids are what? An education. And don't tell me that you have to have all this money in your classroom to give the kids an education. Because some of the greatest minds did not have the kind of resources we've got today. I'm talking about Albert Einstein. His elementary, middle, and high school years were not the kind of schools we've got today. They, don't, he did, they didn't have the kind of reason. They just had chalk, a chalkboard, and a very old book. Because the ch- teachers taught them how to reason and learn for themselves. That's all you need to do. And is it hard? Yeah. It's a lot of work. And we ought to honor our teachers. We ought to pay our teachers. But they need to be in there teaching the kids and do want to get me started on contracts we need to learn to love the way Christ did I'm for the teachers I want they deserve the race they, I want them to get it I want them to receive back what was cut from them but this is not how you get it done it's the wrong attitude Proverbs chapter 25. Let me turn over there in my Old Testament. Proverbs 25, verses 21 and 22. If your enemy is hungry, give him food to eat. And if he is thirsty, give him water to drink. For you will heap burning coals on his head, and the Lord will reward you. Now, if that sounds familiar to you, that's Paul quotes this passage in Romans twelve, verse twenty, and um, don't don't think that what he's saying here is like, hey, when your your enemy's hungry, when you give them food, man, you're you're uh, you're uh, you're giving them a one-way ticket to hell. You're going to burn for this. He's not saying that. the the heaping burning coals upon their head is the shame that they will receive. In general, probably not every single person will be this way, but that's the general. Uh, uh, reaction from most normal people. They will feel shame. They will feel guilt. I know I have. I've done this where I've done, said, or, or something towards somebody that was not in uh, a good attitude, and then they returned to me kindness, goodness. You know what it made me feel like? It made me feel ashamed. Oh, I felt terrible for how I acted toward them, because look how they're acting toward me. And so I felt terrible. I felt shame. It was the burning coals being heaped upon my head. How so? Through their kindness. Through their loving attitude toward toward me. So back over here to Matthew chapter 5. You have heard, uh, J- Jesus said, you have heard that it was said. Here's what you've been taught. You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, Therefore you are to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect and what what Jesus is saying here in the, in the, um, you know if the Gentiles uh, do the same and what what good if you only greet your brothers don't the others do that the same what he's saying there is that don't be like the world yeah so what that you do it to your brothers and sisters you needed to do it to all men and when you do that you come out of the darkness, and you become this shining light. And that's pretty significant. That's something that's visible. People can see that kind of attitude. I remember when I was flying uh, uh, overseas, going, I was on my way to Germany. Uh, well, I was on my way to Afghanistan, going to Germany. I was to, going to war back then. And I, I remember sitting in the airplane, the jet, and it was a uh, two, three in the morning i had my my eyes were open I, I had woken up anyway i was looking out the window pitch black nothing to see couldn't see a thing and we were several hours into the trip we were probably we were getting close to to europe i, I assume so i kept looking for for some sign of a city lights so you know maybe we were getting closer to, to our landing i was getting so tired of being in the plane I'm looking and looking, and all of a sudden, in all the blackness, and I know we're tens of 20, I don't know how many thousands of feet, but we're way up there. You know, have you ever seen those jets you look up in the sky? They're just little bitty dots. I couldn't imagine how small everything else would look from the plane. And so I'm looking out there, and out of all the blackness, I see this light. I'm looking at that, what is that? And then it dawned on me. That is the light from some sort of ship in the ocean. Now, if it was daytime, you know, if it was light everywhere, I could see the ocean. I, there's probably no way I could see that boat. It would be too small. I would not be able to see it. But in with everything being in darkness, in that one itty-bitty boat with its light on, boom! My eyes were drawn straight to it. It was so obvious. I could see it. And that's the kind of love that Jesus wants us to have. It's a visible love. It's light. And when you're surrounded by darkness, you become very very obvious. And he ends out the chapter, therefore you are to be perfect, oh boy, as your heavenly father is perfect. Perfect as in sinless? No, that's not what he's saying. The word perfect here can be translated translated as complete or brought to its intended end. And when you have these kinds of attitudes in you, You will be complete. You'll become what your Father intends you to be. That love for God is love. 1 John chapter 4. And so you need to love like your Father in Heaven loves. Now how bad bad is it out there in the world? I mean, who really wants to be angry all the time, right? Well, listen to this. Here's a... um, a little snippet I took from a Reader's Digest, the April 2010 edition, from a man named Bob Brody. He wrote this, I've discovered that nothing feels quite as satisfying as a grudge well nursed. I had a boss who took a dislike to me from my first day on the job, even though she hired me. There was no complaints about my performance, but I later learned she'd lied to coworkers about me, Without explanation, she laid me off after only ten weeks, just before Thanksgiving. Nevertheless, I had a family to support. Was I to forgive her? Should I now? Give me one good reason. My grudge against her balanced out that injustice, somehow righted the universe. It has kept me warm on many a cold night. A long-standing grudge suggests that we hold certain standards, that we respect ourselves enough to reject bad behavior. Failure to forgive can be just as righteous, just as honorable as forgiveness itself. End quote. Amazing. I can't believe anybody would have that kind of attitude, but they do. And there are times when we do feel that way, right? But we should be angry at that person. Man, we should be because look at what they did. To me, my family, whomever, we should hold on to that and use that and funnel that to, into our minds and heart as energy so that we can really move forward here at getting what we or they or whatever deserves. And intellectually, we put ourselves or other objects above the needs of others. Because we think that's more righteous. But if you are a Christian, if you profess Jesus as your Lord, you need to have his kind of love, which is a servant kind of love, to intellectually choose to make, or, or that have an intelligent choice that you put the needs of others above your own, excuse me, Let me turn to 1 John chapter three. Now we don't have much more time, so I want to get to this last part. 1 John chapter three, verses eleven to twenty-two. And in this passage, uh, John writes. Now, you know, John, the book for 1 John can be broken up into two parts. The first part is God is light. That's the first half, chapter one five to three ten. And then the second half is God is love, three eleven to five twenty-one. And here in 11 to 22, this is really the introduction that really sets the platform or the foundation, what he's about ready to get into, but I think it'll be helpful here for us. He says, For this is the message which you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another, not as Cain, who was of the evil one, and slew his brother. And for what reason did he slay him? Because his deeds were evil, and his brothers were righteous." Now, let me stop there for a second. You know, do you think that Cain just woke up one morning and thought, you know what, I'm going to kill my brother Abel. He would always loved him, but for some reason he just woke up that morning and I'm going to kill him. Or, you know, when someone walks into a building, say someone you know, and they just kind of walk up to some fella and pops him right in the nose, just punches him. And immediately in your mind, you know something is going on. Something had already happened that brought this about, right? Same thing with Cain. Cain didn't just wake up and wanted wanted to murder his brother. It was something that, it was a grudge. It was that grudge that uh, he nursed. It was a slow burn. And he didn't deal with it. He didn't choose to do the right thing and, and love his brothers and try to let go of those things or make it right. He just wanted to hold on to it. He nursed it and let it Inside of him until eventually it came to fruition and murder came about. Over what? That sacrifice? Amazing. Amazing. John goes on writing verse 13. Do not be surprised, brethren, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brethren. He who does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Now, that, what, a, what an amazing uh, comparison there. If you do not have love, you're, you, you can be compared to a murderer. How so? If you don't love your brother, the same kind of judgment is going to come upon you that a murderer receives. What, what does a murderer get? What's the justification there? Death. And if you don't have love, if you don't love your brethren, what's the justification? Spiritually, death. That's what he's saying. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Verse 16, we know love by this, that he laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoever has the world's goods and sees his brother in need and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? Little children, let us not love with word or with tongue, but in deed and truth. We will know by this that we are of the truth and will assure our heart before him. And whatever our heart condemns us, for God is greater than our heart and knows all things. Beloved, If our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do the things that are pleasing in his sight. In this passage, i only got a couple of minutes left. I'm going to have to go over this pretty quickly. We see, number one, love's power is seen in its originator. There in verse 11. The message of love is that which comes from Jesus himself. The fundamental, fundamental truth is this, God is love, 1 John 4.8. And then verses 12 to 13, love's power is seen in its enemies. The world fights against those who exhibit the love of God. Those who do not have love fall into the same trap as did Cain. His lack of love drove him to commit murder. Love's power is seen in its ability to transform, verses 14 to 15. By loving the brethren, we have transitioned from death to life. Those who fail to love abide in death. A failure to love brings about a charge of murder. And being a murderer brings a judgment of condemnation. And love's power is also seen in how it motivates. Jesus provided the model A willingness to die for others, so ought we. And then finally, love's power is seen in how it is manifested. We have been blessed with material things, therefore love behooves us to share with others. Our love is manifested in four ways, through our words, our tongue, our deeds, and the truth. Let us love like the Lord loved. And if everyone did that, what a great and wonderful world it would be folks let's make the most of every opportunity let us make the most of our time as we still have been given as it's been given to us by our father in heaven may the lord bless you in all that you do